It was an amazing celebration last Sunday for Resurrection Sunday. We had a huge crowd, lots of cool things happening. Many of you invited guests. Some of you were traveling to, home, to your homes, and maybe you gathered for worship wherever you want, went. But as I was thinking this week, and truthfully had planned on starting a series today in Hebrews, uh, which I will start next week, God began really stirring my heart for uh, uh, another kind of sermon that's helpful, I think, as we're still proce- processing what the resurrection means. And so uh, any basketball fans out there, any basketball fans, you know by now if you've gone to this church for any amount of time, we love basketball in our house. And, and uh, one thing that I'm feeling responsible for as I'm playing basketball with my kids is teaching them like the street lingo, right? I mean, they know that you, if you live in the streets, you know, you, you gotta, and you got to play basketball in the streets, you got to know the lingo. So the phrase that I'm trying to teach them right now is the phrase, run it back. Everybody say, run it back. Run it back means you want to do it again. And maybe you lost or maybe you played real well, but either way, you're going to do it again. And what I want to do this morning is I want to run it back. Last year, about this time, Chris Paul famously tweeted these words, unfinished business, run it back. And the only reason I'm really making this an analogy is because today we have an opportunity, Houston Rockets, to run it back against the, the devil, Golden State <laughs> Warriors. And my prayers have been answered. They got a couple injuries. In fact, last week, Mike D'Antoni, as they were trying to figure out if they're going to play the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Clippers, Mike D'Antoni says, hey, we've been said it all year. Just run it back. Well, okay. Okay. I guess we're going to run it back. Today, I want to run it back a bit on a Resurrection Sunday celebration. But I'm going to call you to action today. And I hope that you will respond to the call to action. The call to action today, I'm going to tell you it right from the beginning, is that I hope you will schedule solitude for prayer. So important. So as we run it back, we begin to think a bit about what the talk was about last Sunday. And so many of you were not here. The sermon was um, slightly above average, according to my wife. Um, And it really had one idea, and the idea is that the way of peace is to follow the risen Christ. Raise your hand if you were here last week. Raise your hand if you were here last week. All right, about half of you. The way of peace is to follow the risen Christ. And a question that was ringing in my head all week was, if this is true, then why are so many people, especially Christians, or certainly including Christians, living such chaotic lives? Do you know that the Bible says that if you're a Christian, you are reconciled to God, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and enables you to experience peace in this life. It's one reason that we as a church talk about the mission of glorifying God and making disciples in this way. We say we're inviting busy people, people with busy hearts is what that means, to experience the peace of life with Christ. But we know there is chaos around us, and the chaos around us also becomes chaos inside of us. And that chaos began in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Sin entered, and it began this chaos that all of us have been impacted by. And those that are talked about in the Old Testament are impacted by the chaos of their own choices or the choices of others. And then we saw last week in Genesis chapter 20, Mary stands at the tomb of the resurrection, a glorious event that we celebrate, and it says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she, and she wept, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
And she's already grieving because of his death. And then she looks in the tomb and the body's not there. John 20 verse 13 says, the angel said to her, that's what she sees when she looks in the tomb. Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. So Mary arrived at that tomb. It's empty. She panicked. There's chaos in her heart. There's chaos around her. The situation is not easy. And again, we talked about the fact that this all began in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And if you'll remember the passage in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God came looking for them. God came looking for them. And the passage in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says, And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is why they're there. One benefit of being there is that they get unhindered access to the Father. But the scripture goes on, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So by their own choice, they created chaos for themselves. And when God came to find them, they hid from God. When we sin, we hide from God in our shame. How many of you own a dog? Raise your hand. I like dogs okay. They're not quite like as much like people as some of you treat them. But I like them okay, and we have a dog. Her name is Scout. She, when we adopted her, we saved her, rescued her from imminent death, according to the person that we adopted her from. We, it was little, and, and I said, I just want kind of, kind of a lab mix, female, that we can name something that sounds like a male name, right? And so we named her Scout, and it was supposed to be a lab mix, and it grew up, and it looks like our dog. She's cute, but she looks like, if any of you are Simpsons fans, you know the, the dog on the Simpsons, Santa's little helper? is like a black version of that, or others uh, have told me that it looks like a whippet. If you know, it doesn't matter. You can come over and visit her. Take her. Adopt her, you know? Um, anyway, when I get home and I walk into my home, if, if nobody's been there, I walk into my home and the dog is there. All I have to do is walk into the house and go, Scout, one of two things is going to happen. One is she's going to run up to me and jump on me and greet me like I have never been greeted in my whole life. That's one reason we love dogs, right? The other thing that could happen is that she's nowhere to be found. And when I find her, she's cowering, her ears are back, her tail's in between her legs. And what's happened? She's sinned. (laughs) She has sinned. I know it. I know by her response, whenever I try to find her, how she responds, what she's done. You know, in the Adam, I mean, in the garden, Adam and Eve had chaotic hearts, and it was sparked by their own sin, so they hid. Now, at the empty tomb, Mary had a chaotic heart sparked by the sin of others. I mean, Mary was not without sin, but others had sinned and put Jesus on the cross, which was all a part of God's plan, but because of that, her heart was chaotic. And we all or like Adam and Eve and Mary, we all experience chaos sparked by our own sin and the sin of others. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, like, okay, Russell, I'm really not a bad person. I haven't really done bad things. Sure, I've done little sins. But is it really that big of a deal? You know, in math, there is a theory called the chaos theory. Any math nerds out there? This may surprise you, but I actually have a math degree. Nobody cares about that still, 20 years after getting it. 
When you get a math degree, you typically become a church planter, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, in math, there's this theory called the chaos degree. And essentially what the chaos theory says is that very small changes in the starting position over a period of time will, will cause a gigantic difference. A system, even if it's uh, a very small change that experiences a, a, a change of any kind or, or something that's not supposed to be the way it was, it will begin to move and become chaotic and more confusing. This is how we ought to think sometimes about our sin. Even if they're small, over time, it can look, become a real mess. And this is why you feel anxious. This is why your hearts feel disordered. This is stress. And you know, physiologically, the long-term activation of your body responding to stress produces within you uh, a stress hormone called cortisol. And over time, that has a negative effect of your body if it's never turned off. So I'm going to tell you a story about a woman I spent some time counseling. You don't know her. I'll call her Eve. That's not her name. She does not attend this church. Um, but she does attend church often. Eve is highly educated. She has a great job. She's very well paid as a manager in a very large oil and gas company. She's well liked by her friends. She has a handsome, good husband who also has a very good job and loves her very much. What most people don't know about Eve is that for years, she's struggled to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. She has had a low-level feeling of chaos in her heart and a feeling of separation from God deep in her heart for many, many years. I'm not exactly sure how it got there, how it all started, or what's causing it, but and it may be the stress of her job, right? It may be the frenetic pace of the culture. And anybody sociologically would tell you that the culture that we live in is speeding up rapidly. And we have to live within it. And maybe that affected her. Maybe her physiological disposition was towards kind of a high-octane living, a stressful life. So she kind of got used to living with this anxious heart, but over time she wanted to do something about it. So she went to the doctor and began taking prescription medication. And this is not a statement against prescription medication. But for her, she hoped it would slow the churning she felt, but it didn't. So she started drinking alcohol just to help a little bit more. And then a light drink every weekend turned into drinking every night and eventually day drinking. Now, the frequent drinking that was combined with the medical prescriptions eliminated, uh, eliminated her inhibitions. So on more than one occasion, when she was out of town for work, she made poor choices with men who were not her husband, sinful choices. And all of that just deepened her shame and accelerated her anxiety. She was trying to cover the unrest in her own heart, and it didn't makes sense. She slept less. She started having digestive issues. She was exhausted. She could never quite recover. On one Sunday, she was in church, and the preacher read the words out of John chapter 14 that said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
She wondered if Jesus has left peace and if through Christ peace is available, why isn't she experiencing it? Then in her daily Bible reading in John chapter 6, she read these words by Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. She sat alone Wondering if this is true, why am I so hungry and thirsty for God's presence in my life? You know, unmet expectations in any relationship can stir anxiety in your heart. But unmet expectations in the Christian life will be very disorienting for anybody. And I think we could describe our heart as chaotic. Sure, some of it was a result of her own sin. Some of it was a result of the environment that she was in, the cultures that she was in that's moving at a frenetic pace. She is in desperate need for help, experiencing the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, the trajectory for her life is tragic. So I wonder if you were in my position and you had the opportunity to talk to her, I wonder what you would say to her. Maybe you would say something like, Eve, you need to stop drinking alcohol. Or or maybe you would say, Eve, you need to find a new job. Or Eve, go tell your husband. Or Eve, memorize Bible verses. Or Eve, sign up for this women's group. Or Eve, repent, repent, repent. And I have said those things to Eve, and I have said those things to myself for many years. And there's truth in all of them. They can be beneficial. But she could do all of those things and never really experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Some of you know that to be true personally. The Eve in our story is not unlike Adam and Eve in the biblical story and Mary in the resurrection story. They all need to hear God. And for both of them, Adam and Eve and Mary and then Eve in our story, God meets them in the chaos. Do you know in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are hiding. God calls out to them. Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? In the John passage, Mary Magdalene was hidden in her sorrow and God called out to her, Mary. In the chaos, they heard the voice of God. This is what any person who has an anxious heart needs. This is what we all need, to be able to hear the voice of God. Don't miss it. At this moment, in a disordered heart, what they need is peace, and God spoke to them. John chapter 10 I love this passage where it talks about Jesus being the good shepherd. And he says these words, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We all near need to hear the voice of God. In the midst of chaos, God speaks peace through Jesus Christ. Um, next week, I'm going to start a series where I'm teaching through the book of Hebrews. And essentially what Hebrews is about is Hebrews is saying that Jesus is greater than every other option as an object of worship, as a person of worship. There are so many other beautiful things in there. I hope you'll join me in the study. But what you ought to know is that in the midst of chaos, God speaks peace through Jesus Christ. 
And, and I do think that most people like that idea, but not many people actually know how to hear from God. We know how to do religious things. We know how to show up to church. We know how to tithe, usually. Uh, we, we know how to do religious things, but not very many people who follow Christ really know how to hear the voice of God. We know how to read the Bible, but do we know how to hear God's voice as we're reading the Bible? And here's the truth, the reality. Almost none of you will prioritize attending church for the rest of your life unless we teach you how to put yourself in a position to hear from God. The days of people going to church because they just feel like they ought to, it's the right thing to do, those days are going away. In fact, this area of the city, I I find that most people could care less about attending church. They feel no cultural pressure to attend church. I say it's post-church. It may not be totally post-Christian yet, It's pretty secular, but it's post-church, so there's not a lot of pressure to actually attend church. Why? Because there's this individualism that exists where people think that they can follow Christ without attending church. What I'm saying to you is that all of you will be flung out of the church toward one of multiple false gods if you are unable to respond or deal with in the frenetic pace of this culture the chaos that your sin causes and the chaos of other sin. You will be flung out of the church unless you are taught, unless you obey or respond to the challenges for you to hear the voice of God. And so here is my challenge to you. Here's the moment I'm trying to get to, I'm working towards for this talk. And this is where I'll spend the rest of my talk. Here's what you must do to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. This is not the only thing you must do, but this is one of the most important things you must do. Here it is, schedule solitude for prayer. So in 2018, we as a church said, we want to set our hearts and mind on the spiritual discipline of prayer. So we said as a goal in 2018 of following up on 10,000 prayer requests And we exceeded that goal. What a fantastic year it was for us as a church. But truthfully, one thing that I realized in doing that was how little I really, as a person, as a follower of Christ, prioritize prayer in my everyday life. And so we don't want to get away from that. We don't want to get away from that as a spiritual discipline and as something we need. Because essentially what we're doing in prayer is we're saying, God, I need you. I need to hear from you. I need your presence in my life. My situation is, I can't see it clearly without your presence in me and working through me. So we're going to talk for a moment about scheduling solitude for prayer because it's different than me standing up before you and praying or you right there praying. There is something different in this idea of solitude for prayer. So let's talk first about solitude. Everybody say solitude. So solitude is disengaging from people. Shout out from the introverts. You're like, oh, finally, (laughs) a sermon that's good and applicable to me. I want to get away from people. Solitude is disengaging from people and freely engaging in whatever activity you need to thrive when you return to your normal life. You cannot do solitude 24-7, 365 days a year. That's what you call being a hermit, and that's not what God has for you, I don't think. You know, it's interesting, a 2014 study that I read while I was preparing my sermon said that many of us would rather give ourselves electric shocks than spend 15 minutes alone with our own thoughts. (laughs) This is a radical idea, solitude. Solitude can't eliminate the noise around you so that God will speak to the noise within you. 
And what we're getting at here is why is there chaos in my heart? Why is there chaos in my life? How can I not see the sin that's causing that chaos that's within me and the sin that's on the outside of me that's causing that chaos? Well, I'm telling you, solitude can eliminate that noise around you so that God will speak to the noise within you. The personal discipline, it's not actually unique to the Christian faith. So it's not just Christians that are saying that solitude is valuable. There are other faith systems that would say it's valuable. It's an important discipline for finding what they would also define as peace. And there's plenty of brain science. There's a lot of medical people in here. There's plenty of brain science that reveal how solitude is restorative biologically for us. Your brain is restored whenever you're alone. Solitude does for the mind what sleep does for the body. It allows for recovery. Some of you do this already. So I'm saying that you're like, oh yeah, that's why I went on a trip to such and such place. And what I would say to you is I'm not sure that that's the kind of solitude that I'm talking about. You see, a difference between the way that the world thinks about solitude and the way that Christians think about solitude is that Christians don't empty themselves or aren't about emptying their mind or getting completely away from all people only. The Christians fill their mind in times of solitude with conversations with God while listening to his word. It's not the emptying of mind that Christians are to do in solitude. It is the filling of their minds with God's voice. It's not an escape from every person. It's an escape from every person except the person of the triune God. Solitude is a way, one of the better ways that you will deal with that noise that's in your heart. And you know, this is exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus did. Sarah read the passages so beautifully. Jesus quite often got alone. And surely if it was valuable for him, it's valuable for us, right? Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And while he was away, everyone was looking for him. But after his time in prayer, he came back and actually got some direction from the Father and told the disciples it was time to move to another village. Luke chapter 5. Despite the fact that Jesus asked that his miracles be kept secret, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But listen, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Think about this. Jesus' task list is getting longer and longer and longer and longer. Yet he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus went to a mountainside to pray. We see him praying often on the mountainside or by the lake. He spent the night praying to God. Just wasn't, wasn't just when it was convenient. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a, solid, or to a solitary place. So many people were coming to Jesus. The task list was there. And the reason that I make this point is because some of you moms think, I'm so busy, I don't have time for this. You do not have the strength to not do this. Some of you are busy in your jobs. You're busy with your lives. You've got a lot of responsibility. You've got kids. You've got grandkids. You have, uh, maybe you're at the beginning of your career and you've got lots of homework or, or you've got a lot of, lots of assignments at your job and you think to yourself, I am too busy to get alone to pray. And what I'm saying to you is this, is that you're more tired than you realize if you do not take times of solitude for prayer. Mark chapter six, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. 
Jesus with his disciples. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. He invited people to this discipline of solitude. The priority of Jesus' solitude and silence is everywhere in the Gospels. It's how he began his ministry. And it's interesting in Mark's Gospel, because in Mark's Gospel, Jesus got alone to a quiet place, and then he came out of that quiet place, and nearly every time is when he did some kind of like incredible miracle. You see, his power came out of those private prayer times. He didn't just keep grinding in life and keep shouldering all the responsibility that the Father had given him. Instead, he got away, he restored, he heard from the Father, he allowed the Father to slow his heart, he quieted himself, and then he came out of that and he undertook the ministry and the mission that God had before him. You know, when I was in my 20s, no one ever talked like this to me. No one ever said to me, Russell, You need to take times away. And you know what? If they had, I probably wouldn't have listened. (laughs) Which probably doesn't surprise some of you. (laughs) Maybe you're feeling the same thing. The priority of Jesus' solitude is everywhere in the gospel. It's how he began his ministry. It's how he made important decisions. It's how he dealt with troubling emotions like grief. It's how he dealt with constant demands of ministry. And it's how he cared for his own soul. It's how he taught his disciples. It's how he prepared for important ministry events. It's how he prepared for his death on the cross. It's how he deepened the relationship with the Father to the degree that he could call him Abba. And Jesus invites us to join him. I wonder if the Eve that I'd spent time counseling, what would be different about her life if she had heard it earlier in her life? How much of the chaos would she have avoided if she had just heard that an essential discipline in the Christian faith to experience the peace of life with Christ is to get away for solitude so that there can be prayer? I wonder. Well, maybe some of you are like, you know what, I need to do that. I need, how do I do it? So let me give you a few things here, and then I'm going to be done. First of all, I want you to schedule time. I want you to schedule time. I don't know about you, and I'm guessing very few of you are, have so few things to do that you can wake up and just kind of do whatever. All of us have to put on our schedule the things that are the most important. Otherwise, it'll get pushed out, Right? Schedule time. I encourage you to, to spend time every single day, half an hour, 30 minutes, maybe 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon. In 2,000 years of Christian history, uh, what we see time and time again among the mo- people that we would consider like the, 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 the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the faith or, or like the saints of the faith, one thing that is common among all of them is that all of them are known to be people of daily prayer. So just pick half an hour and spend that however you like. Maybe it's early in the morning before anybody gets up, Mom. Maybe it's late at night after everybody goes to bed. Maybe it's on your lunch hour. Maybe it's some in the morning, some in the afternoon. But you're going to have to schedule it. Get alone. And I don't think it works. It didn't work quite what I have in mind if you say, well, I'm doing it driving to and from work. Because you, you're dealing with the, the, the traffic and, and the stresses that accompany that. Find some time. Weekly. Try to find half a day every week. Solitude for prayer. Get alone for prayer. Quarterly. Find three or four days every quarter, every few months where you can get away. 
I mentioned last week that, that the week prior to Easter, uh, I got away for three or four days. I was praying for our church, praying for our city, praying for my family, and mostly just asking God to speak to my heart and just to quiet my heart and allow me to feast on his presence. And uh, some people would say, wow, like Jeannie allowed you to get away. We've got four kids, a busy life. It was a busy week. And she knows that when I come back after those three or four days that there's a level of rest that has a positive impact on everybody and everything. So we as a family prioritize me to getting away for three or four days, and she's able to do it as she wants also. So schedule time. Second thing you must do is determine a place. Determine a place. Find a place where you can go. Maybe it's in your house. Maybe it's at a park nearby your home. Maybe it's um, you have a friend who has some property and they'll let you get away for half a day or so. Determine a place. Make it when you're at that place, what you're going to do there as you're alone is spend time praying. A third thing I would suggest that you do is eliminate distractions. This will be the most controversial part of this entire talk. No TV, no social media, no email. I'm going to encourage you to do something. If you find yourself kind of mentally fatigued and you're having a hard time prioritizing the things that you know God wants you to prioritize relationally or even in kind of hearing God's voice, you ought to take off your phone all of these things every day just for a week and see how you're different. But when you get away for the solitude for prayer, uh, no TV, no social media, no email, you say, well, Russell, I'm so important. I can't be away from these things for three days. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're not quite as needed in those areas as you think you are. Uh, t- a recent uh, Nielsen report found that typical Americans spend half of their waking life looking at one screen or another. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Your phone, your TV, or your computer. And it's, it's, truthfully, it's taking a toll. So eliminate distractions. Fourth, fully engage. Fully engaging is a distinctively Christian way of doing solitude. Fully engaging means that your mind has to be there, which probably means no alcohol or no other substances to just numb you out, to keep you from thinking. It means no kids. I was waiting for an amen. I mean, I just thought I'd heard here like one No work tasks, no homework. Fully engaging means detoxing because here's what you're doing. Just like the psalmist says in Psalm 62, 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. And then while you're there, read the Bible slowly. Read the Bible as if it's God's word speaking to you. I mentioned already that I'm going to teach through the book of Hebrews starting next week. Myself, Andrew, and a couple others are going to join me in preaching that series. But uh, one tool that we want to suggest that you get is this little book called The Letter to the Hebrews. And so you can buy this on Amazon. It's The Letter to the Hebrews Scripture Journal. And so what they've done is they've taken the book of Hebrews, and they've actually done it for every book of the Bible, and they put it in this little journal. And then on one side is the passage, and on the other side it's blank. So I want to really strongly encourage you to pick one of those up. We have, I think, 10 or so on the table out there. You can grab one of those and If you feel weird about taking it without paying, drop five bucks in the box or whatever. We just want you to have it or go order it. And what you can do in your times of solitude in the next couple of months is use that letter to the Hebrews and and just read it and just listen to God and then make notes. Fully engage. Read the Bible slowly. 
Journal your thoughts. And then last one, pray freely. Pray freely. You know, I, I think that for this, this woman that I spent some time counseling, if she had known that there was a way for her to meet with God in a very real way through his word, her heart would have slowed. The anxiety would have subsided. And maybe it would have set her life on a little different path so that she wasn't middle of the gigantic mess that she's now dealing with. And maybe, just maybe, if she were to get alone, she would hear from God the very things that you're going to hear from God if you choose solitude for prayer. Things like, you are loved. God will speak that over you as you open his word. You're valuable. Not because of your good works, but because of what Christ has done for you. You'll hear God say, you're righteous, not because of your good deeds, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You'll hear him say things like, you are an ambassador. You are my representative in this world. You'll hear him say things like, you have what it takes with the Holy Spirit. So this is my challenge, and the specific call to action for you is that by the end of the day tomorrow, that you will schedule solitude for prayer. Originally, I was thinking by the end of the day today, but if you're like me, I don't set my weekly schedule until tomorrow. So I said, by the end of the day Monday, I want you to schedule solitude for prayer. And maybe that scheduling is scheduling for you to go into a part of your house alone, or maybe it's to go to a park, or there's many state parks around here. Maybe you want to drive for half a day somewhere, and you say, well, I'm so busy. I know you're busy. I get it. I am too. But I know this. If you'll do it, you will meet with God, and your life will be changed. You will hear God speak just like Adam and Eve heard God calling them. Where are you? You will hear God speak to you just like Mary heard Jesus speak her name, you will hear God speak your name. This is the kind of church I want to be a part of. I don't know about you. A church that's able to, in the midst of a frenetic culture, a pace of a culture that's just speeding us all up, is able to slow down to hear God's voice and to enjoy the presence of God for all the rest of the days of our life. So the choice is yours. Will you respond to scheduling solitude for prayer. Let's think on and pray about these things. Would you bow your head? So if you're here and you've not yet crossed over the line of faith, you've not yet turned away from your sin and turned toward Jesus as your Savior, today is the day. You might say something like, God, I realize that I've sinned against you And I want you to forgive my sin. And I want to experience new life. I want to hear your voice. Maybe others of you, when I talk about the chaos that is within the hearts of Adam and Eve and then in the heart of Mary, maybe that really connects with you because you're experiencing some of that also. Well, this time of response is a time where you can talk to God about that. 
God will meet you in that chaos and speak to you. So just talk to him. So in just a moment, I'm going to talk to you about how we are going to respond, but let me pray for first. God, we love you. Thank you for today. God, thank you that in the chaos, you choose to meet us. And God, sometimes the chaos that we experience as a result of our own poor choices, our own sinful choices, and sometimes it's a result of the choices of others, God. But either way, we need you. We need to hear your voice, just like Adam and Eve heard you calling out to them, and Mary heard you speak her name. God, we need you to speak to us, God. And we trust that the way that you'll speak to us is through Jesus, and the way that we see Jesus is through your holy word. So God, I pray that this community of faith would prioritize solitude for prayer and that we would minister out of that. We would be like a church that's gone away in solitude for prayer and come back and is powerful together in this city to see the kingdom revealed. God, we love you. I pray all this in Christ's name.